Hey folks, welcome to the Health Hustle of Austin, Texas. On the show, we uncover the big ideas from your fellow health and fitness entrepreneurs in the Austin, Texas area about how they built their business and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Corey Hibben. On this episode, we will be going over the top 10 highlights from the past 30 episodes. We are wrapping up season two. It has been a blast, and I want to go over all the great moments that we had from this past season. I could have pulled out way more than 10, but I wanted to give you guys the best of the best. After you listen to this episode, definitely shoot me a DM with a thumbs up or a thumbs down so that I know if I should be doing more episodes like this to give you guys the highlights or the takeaways from the episodes of previous shows. So the 10 highlight moments from season two is Everything is Figure Outable by Dana Rekovich, Training with Navy Seals with Ross Churn, Redefining what Passion Means with Neville Medora, Life isn't as complicated as we make it out to be with Logan Sneed, stacking your deck with Sarah Files, be a solution to a problem with Corey Peterson, getting emotionally smacked with Nikki Zaka, realizing that you can't please everyone with Tyler Brown, letting his bank account get to less than $100 with Mike Bledsoe, that was a wild one, and what the hell a picnic table has to do with building a community with Daniel Hinojosa. If you haven't already, do me a huge favor and please subscribe and write us a review. This show is about helping health and fitness entrepreneurs to build a business that fits their lifestyle by giving us a review. It helps other people find the show and join us on that journey. If you're looking for simple and actionable tips on how to market and grow your health or fitness business, click the link in the description and sign up for my three tips Tuesday newsletter. Three tips every Tuesday to help you keep those leads coming. Also, if you need help with building your website, I offer a free website audit that you can find at coreyha.com. Without further ado, Mm, let's go. Think back to like my first few months in starting my own company. I was newly pregnant and was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I had been laid off and I, I wasn't overwhelmed at the idea of entrepreneurship. What happened was somebody, a, a colleague of mine um, had called me for advice about an orthopedic practice that she was working with. And she said, hey, like, I'm trying to launch this new practice to get it off the ground. Do you have any, you know, do you have any suggestions for me? And I talked to her for an hour and I was like, here's what you need to do. Here's how, you know, here's your marketing plan. Here's who you need to talk to. And I laid out an entire strategic marketing plan for her in an hour. And I got off that phone call and I was like, that's that's what I should be doing. Like, oh my gosh, like I should be consulting and, and offering this knowledge that I've been able to build and, and share it with people. And it was a scary time because I was pregnant. This is like pre me too. And it was like, who's going to hire a pregnant lady? Nobody. That's who. And so I kind of had to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I don't know where this advice came in, if it was at this point in my career or later, but it really resonated with me. And that is everything is figure outable. And so I was going to do it. I was going to figure it out. And so I contacted a bunch of people in the healthcare world that I had worked with. And I said, Hey, I'm starting this thing. I'm going to do marketing consulting in healthcare. You want to be my client? And nobody said no. <laughs> I mean, I was really lucky in that regard and that I had those relationships with people that knew me and trusted me. They knew I had good work ethic. And so I just figured it out. I figured out how to start a company. So yeah, I would give that advice to anybody that's that's feeling stuck or uncertain about what the next thing is or, or really overwhelmed. I think a lot of us, I mean, you and me included, we've talked about this even like in this next phase of our businesses, like where are we going from here? I feel like that's a good mantra to have. Everything is figure outable. I've always said the number one skill of entrepreneurship is resourcefulness. Just the ability to continue to move forward and figure things out because honestly, at the end of the day, most of us have no idea what we're doing anyways. I always compare it to trying to become a painter. 
is that when you're working in a job and that you have a structure and a system and what you're supposed to be doing, it feels a lot like paint by numbers in terms of fill in this box and draw a line here and do this and this is exactly how it's supposed to go. And then when you branch off and decide to do your own thing and to start a business and to get into the world of entrepreneurship, it's sort of like somebody just handed you a blank canvas and they go, paint, figure out what's beautiful to you, figure out what you like to paint about or what you like to put onto a page or what you like to put out into the world. And it's going to suck for a long time. Honestly, at the end of the day is that a lot of the beginning steps of just getting into entrepreneurship is that you're figuring out as you go. You're watching Bob Ross videos, you're reading books, you're looking at other pieces of art for inspiration to try to figure out what's going to work best for you and your situation. And that's both the beauty and the challenge of it, right? Is that it's your art, it's your baby, it's your child, it's a thing that you're growing. But I think it just gives you a really good idea of what it's really like to just have to continue to figure it out every single day. And your art will get better and you will get better at figuring things out. You become a very, very good problem solver. But I've always said, like I said before, is that the number one skill of entrepreneurship is resourcefulness, your ability to just figure things out and continue to move forward. Next up, we got Ross Churn with what he learned from training with the Navy SEALs. Actually, I was still in college and I got a random uh, Facebook ad came up scrolling on Facebook, sitting on my friend's couch, and um, it was like, you know, train with Navy SEALs on the History Channel. And I was like, okay. So I clicked it and I applied. Didn't even think about it. Get a call a couple months later, and this casting director from the History Channel was like, hey, we want to interview you for this part. It's, it was called The Selection, which was a special forces uh, boot camp where they take civilians with no military background through a special forces boot camp experience. So I had like five or six Skype interviews over six months. And at the time, this was my senior year of college. At the time, I was an amazing World of Warcraft player. <laughs> so all I did was play WoW and go to class. <laughs> okay. Six months went by. College is almost over. I'm just owning at WoW this whole time. I get a call and they're like, hey, you got the part. I'm like, no shit. I have not worked out. I have not run. I haven't, I haven't been doing anything for like 30 days <laughs> except for looking at my rating on WoW. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they send me some boots and they're like, you have seven days to break these boots in and then we're shipping you out to Santa Clarita, California. They probably knew you were playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> they, they, I guarantee you one of my Battletag friends was one of the guys in yeah. the History Channel. He's like, yo, get this guy. Yeah, like, yeah. You're going you're gonna to fuck He's him. He's going to die. He's literally going to die on your show. <laughs> yeah, so... I just had to give that backstory because going out there, you know, I'm in way better shape today, physically and mentally. I think I was 21 or 22 at the time when I got this, this call. Anyway, fast forward to going out there to having the experience. They sent 40 of us out to LA, brought us in a bus to this desert. And then we did steroid tests, aptitude tests, mental tests, IQ tests for like six days in a hotel. We couldn't leave the hotel and we just had all these tests to do. They sent 10 people home and then 30 people went out to the desert and then it started. From this moment I got in the desert, I went to bed. I got woken up at like five in the morning. We had to stand at attention in the sand pit for two hours in the freezing cold in the desert. I mean, it's cold when it's dark and it's hot during the day. Anyway, yeah, we were out there and this is, I'll never forget this experience. These Special Forces Operators is what they were called. Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, and Green Beret. They had some other guys out there. The, you could just 
feel the energy from the second you saw them. You're like, these guys have done crazy things that you could never even imagine. Mm-hmm. You could just feel it. And it was real from the moment it started. It was real. I never had an experience like that. I got within the first few hours, I had hypothermia, I had heat stroke and I had been tear gassed within like three hours of it starting. And we have done probably like 2000 burpees, like uh, run up and down the hill so many times, like up this mountain, carrying logs, like people are pissing themselves, like throwing up. I mean, dude, it was brutal. It was hard. How long did you last? I lasted four days. Yeah. I lasted four days. We had no idea how long it was going to be or what was going to be happening. The, The whole thing ended up being 12 days long and it sucks in hindsight. I mentally was just not there physically I was strong I could do all the things I made it through the first you know the th- it was like four to five days of like hell week and then after you make it through there anyone that's remaining wants to be there and then they started teaching skills and fighting and you know how to conduct missions and rescue operations and uh, prisoners of war things where they were nailing people in boxes and burying them it was crazy stuff man it was really intense what do you think you learned from it I took away so many character defining moments about myself. I learned so much about myself out there because, you know, I was upset when I quit. They just got me to this point where I was just broken. Like I kept asking myself, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And I didn't have an answer. You know, it was, I didn't have an answer at that moment in time. But in hindsight, when I went home and I was back in my corporate job, I was like, man, I'm this corporate kid that got selected out of tens of thousands of applicants to be out here like I'm meant for something more, you know, I'm, I'm strong. I'm not just meant to be Mr. Stocks and bonds, like in this desk. So when I knew, when I had that experience, I will say they kept saying like, learn how to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, like get comfortable being uncomfortable. And they made us actually memorize the man in the arena quote. So when I was out there, that's the first time that I ever heard the man in the arena quote. And the very first sentence is, it's not the critic that counts, which to me is like, you know, it doesn't matter what other people are thinking about you. It just matters about what you think about you. You're on your journey. And that's not like arrogant or anything like that. It's just, you know, everybody in life is on some type of journey in the arena and you have to be willing just to keep going no matter what. Keep going no matter what. The reason I love Ross's story about that is that he wasn't able to keep going because he didn't have a bigger why or a bigger reason as to why he wanted to keep going. I think it's one of the reasons that so many entrepreneurial ventures fail is because they chase the money as opposed to what's the reason that you actually want to build this thing or create this thing or bring this thing to the world is that so often we are short-term thinking and only chasing the money and not the bigger reason behind why we're actually doing that. It could be about money. It could be about living a certain lifestyle you want to have, a certain relationship you want to have, a certain amount of freedom or autonomy or a location that you want to live. Those can all be reasons as to why you're doing something. But I think it is very important from the get-go to really get clear on why it is you even starting a business or have a business in the first place. For me, honestly, business is just about being able to hang out with cool and interesting people. That's that's always what business has been about for me. The monetary aspect of it is cool and the ability to build something and create something is also very cool. But at the end of the day, for me, it's always been about relationships and cool people. And it's obviously the reason that I serve the demographic of people with marketing that I serve is because I just like hanging out with them and I have similar interests and like-minded beliefs. 
And so it's fun for me. So anybody out there who has a business or is looking to start a business, just make sure you get clear on why it is you even want to start a business in the first place, because it will take a long time to probably get to the point where you want to be. Up next, we have Neville Medora on how your passions are actually a little bit more malleable than you probably believe. What if you were getting paid 10 times more than you were to be a physical therapist? Let's say you're making 50,000 a year. Let's change that around. You do the same work, same hours, but everyone, all your clients fucking loved you. They raved about you and you got paid $500,000 a year. Would you have liked that better? Yes. Okay. So, so now we didn't change the work. We didn't change the work at all, but all of a sudden you got more respect and more pay. Now you like it. So, so, so something happened here, right? We, we didn't change the work. We didn't change it. So a lot of people think it's the work itself. Maybe it's the reward you're getting for the work. Maybe it's that like most you're, you're, you're working with a company that's an HMO and they're just cycling you to patients who don't give a shit about you. Like maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's the respect. Maybe it's the amount of money. So that's why I'm saying like this, this idea of passion can be funged. It can be moved around a little bit, right? So a lot of people, if they were doing the same job working for a software company in sales, uh, but they're making 30 grand a year. If they were making 300 grand a year, they'd probably be far more passionate about that. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. I, I encourage you to think like, when you're saying passionate, what do you mean? Like um, if I was making a ton of money selling insurance, I don't care about selling insurance, but if I was making $10 million a month, I'd be like, I am pretty passionate about this. <laughs> you know, it, you would, it would change your mind. I think it really would. And if you were more respected and stuff like that. So it's like, what, what is that? That's why I encourage people to look at that. Like, instead of saying, what am I passionate about? I think it's just like a wrong thing to do. All right. I love this one because this is a very contrarian belief around passion. So often we are told chase your passion and do what you're passionate about. And it's become almost a buzzword to just hear that. And he takes a different approach of understanding that you can be passionate about things. It's not that you're not excited about things, but also understanding that it is malleable based on certain circumstances. It won't always necessarily be the actual work that you're doing. It could be the people that you get to hang out with, like I was talking about earlier. It could be the amount of respect that you get, and it could even be how much money you are making. These are all things that can affect how passionate you are about the thing that you're actually working on and the thing that you're doing. And I just love this idea. I think really at the root of it is understanding what drives you and what motivates you and what your values are. If money does motivate you, then maybe you do want a super high paying job or maybe if it's the accolades that excites you or the attention maybe you do want to be the next youtube star i can safely say from my own experience as working as both a personal trainer and an occupational therapist that i think probably the big reasons that i wasn't as passionate about those things is one is they didn't really pay honestly all that great and two is probably i was probably working with the wrong people that weren't really in line with who i wanted to hang out with and spend my time with if my clients were the coolest most awesome amazing exciting entrepreneurial type people in the world like the people having this podcast show not to toot my own horn beep beep but but if they were those type of people, I would probably have enjoyed the work 10 times more. Up next, we have Logan Sneed with talking about what it's like to spend time with the top influencers in the game. Let's go. Everyone is just trying to figure it out. And basically what I mean by that is that a lot of times when people see somebody else, oh, I can't do that. It's like, why can't you do that? Because he's making a million dollars a year and he knows how to do this, this and that. I don't know exactly. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. And okay, in reality, he probably doesn't know what he's really doing. <laughs> he literally is just chopping away and hopefully he hits it and he ends up doing that. Cause the more you chop away the closer you are to getting to that gold, but people usually just chop away one time and don't ever get there. And so they're like, yeah, I can't find it. Right. So it's literally like, that's the most simple advice. Cause I've been around literally some of the biggest influencers in the game. Like I've always looked up to these people my whole life. I've been around them. I've hung around them and they are intelligent, but they're literally just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's, it's just absolutely mind blowing when you hang around these people like Mr. Beast, 
fantastic. I, I, I met the guy, but I actually do know uh, two big YouTubers that he does know. And these big YouTubers are super successful. But like, I have, like one of them has stayed in my place for two weeks. And the guy's literally like sitting there like stressing out because he doesn't know what the video is going to be tomorrow. And nobody knows what the video is going to be tomorrow. He's got to figure it out. So it's like, when you look at it like that, it just, you're like, wow, okay. Life isn't as complicated as I thought it was. No. And it's really not. Life isn't as complicated as we think it is. Man, I love this one. There is so much coming at us from content and books and information and coaches and mentors and advertisements and all the things that we love to just consume and learn and discover and figure out and like what is the next move and how do I get to the top of the mountain? How am I going to get successful and happy and wealthy and fit and all these amazing things and really... It's not as complicated as we think it is. I was literally just watching a YouTube video the other day about what has made Mr. Beast so successful. He talked about Mr. Beast in this past episode, and he's actually a guilty pleasure of mine. He's a great YouTuber if you don't know who he is. And really, he wakes up every single day and thinks to himself, how do I make the best videos possible? And sure, there's a lot of complexity that might come into that, but that is such a basic idea that he just focuses on again and again and again. And so the question for you might be is, wherever you're at in terms of your health or your fitness or your wealth journey, is that what are the basics that if you just got really, 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 really good at that thing, that you would get successful at it? What are you willing to commit to? What are you willing to go all in on and just get really good at? Is it, is it being really good at just creating videos on YouTube? Is it being an incredible personal trainer and very relatable with your clients? Is it about building a certain community that you want to surround yourself with? Like, What are the basic things that you could be doing just at a really, really high level that would honestly multiply what you're trying to accomplish in your life and in your business? I can say with full disclosure for me right now, it's to create the best podcast show humanly possible. Like the one you're listening to right now, my sole mission behind this is to literally create the best show possible. I'm obviously competing with the Joe Rogans of the world, which is totally fine, but it gives me something to strive for and to work towards. And so I think the big takeaway from this is that no matter how successful somebody looks is that one, they're still just figuring out as they go. And two, is that they're just really good at the basics. You probably don't need more information. You probably just need more execution on the things that you're already doing. Up next, we got Sarah Files, who talks about why you should surround yourself with people that have your best interest in mind. Let's go. Mm. You touched on something before this, too, about stacking the deck. Yes. What does that mean? So Tony Robbins uh, says, I don't know if y'all know who he is, but he's, Definitely. <laughs> he's pretty amazing. But he says you should stack your deck and that surround yourself with people who will lift you up and believe in you and have your back and believe in your vision. And it's so important to surround yourself with people who want to see you do well and who have the same energy as you. And those people that believe in you that can help you achieve success. Will Smith said he wanted to be the biggest movie star in the world. And he had a manager named JL and JL told Will that he would get him there. And so they researched how, you know, who are the biggest movie stars in the world and what kind of movies are they in and what are the biggest movies in the world, you know, and he went through this whole thing. And Will got a call from JL and JL said, I need to come over and talk to you. So he comes over and he says, I have this movie. It's called Six Heads in a Duffel Bag. And it's going to make you $10 million, but I want you to decline the movie. He goes, I wasn't even going to tell you about it. And Will was like, that's a lot of money. Like, I can't just 
not take that. That's a lot. And JL said, it will not make you the biggest movie star in the world. Hmm. He said, it's not the kind of movie that you want to be known for. And so I think you should decline the movie. And he did. And he did a movie that was worth like $300,000 at the time. And it catapulted him into being the biggest movie star in the world at the time. And, you know, I think that he could have said, told JL, no, I, or I'm going to go ahead and do that movie. But he didn't. He listened to his manager that was telling him, like, this is not the movie that you want to go after. You know what I mean? So totally. it's like, find the people who, find your JL. Find the person who's going to say, I don't think that's right for you. And for me, it was my lawyer. He was like, that's that's not what you should be doing. And when that whole thing fell apart, it was like a death. I mean, I had been working on this thing for four years, for four years. I mean, it was hard. And as soon as it fell apart, I was like, I did I just make the right decision? I mean, all these questions went through my head. I'm a pretty logical decision maker. And I mean, I, there was so much emotion tied into it. And it was, it was awful. I was like, what am I going to do? You know, what if this thing doesn't sell? You know, what if, you know, going through the whole like, replaying it I mean this was my dream was it really worth you know selling this property to give up on this dream of creating this independent senior living community totally but I believe that my lawyer has my back and I I think a lot of people in my camp have my back you know that's why I'm so successful I think Who's your JL? Who's got your back? I've realized that every chapter of my life has been a reflection of the people that have been around. And that's not to put blame on them. The blame is always going to be on me. I'm always going to take responsibility for who I spend my time with and the energy that I bring into the world. But at the same time, I think it's very important to be aware of the people that you are spending your time with. It's one of the reasons that I've become very particular about the people that I hang out with. And it's not in a bad way. I don't think it's in a judgmental way. I think it's just understanding human nature is that we are very influenced by the people around and the environments that we're around. I think those are both very, very important. And I think they're worth considering in your own life. I don't think there's any arguing that if you want to be a happier person, get around happy people. If you want to be a more wealthy person, get around wealthy people. If you want to be a more healthy and fit person, get around those people because those people are ultimately going to hold you to their own personal standards. And you're probably going to slowly rise up to that level. And this goes both directions, right? And again, this isn't to take the emphasis off of myself or yourself or anyone else of where you're at in your situation. Obviously, it's always ultimately your choice at the end of the day. But I also believe as well that it's one of those life hacks that whatever direction you're trying to go with your life, find those people, spend time with those people, hopefully add value to those people. And in return, you're going to see how your life is going to change. A great example of this in my own personal life is that when I was in high school, I actually ended up graduating high school with a 1.8 GPA. And as you could probably guess, that's pretty bad. And it had a lot to do with the people that I was surrounded with at the time. They just didn't take their school or their education all that serious. And again, it's not to put the blame on them, but it's just to recognize the environment that I was in. Fast forward that to actually graduating graduate school, and I finished with a 4.0 GPA, which again, I think had a lot to do with the people that I was around in that situation is that people that were in that program at that level were obviously there for a very specific reason to get a certain level of education and to get a certain degree. And just being around those people had a big influence on how I showed up and the things that I focused on in my own personal life. And so just make sure that you're making note of the people and the places that you're spending your time with. Up next, we have Corey Peterson on the number one job of any entrepreneur. Let's go. Be the solution to a problem. I think it's really important to open your eyes and ears to the world around you and 
there's always a problem out there that you can solve. And if you can figure that out and run with it, and it's something that strikes you and you're passionate about, then people are going to buy in because it's a problem that they need a solution to. So you've got to be creative, especially right now and in this day and age where there's competition coming out, you know, all over the place. You've just got to find that niche that's underserved and um, that you can do better than what's out. I love that. It reminds me of, I just recently heard, find something in your life that sucks and can you solve that problem? And then I bet you there's more people in your life that have that same sucky problem. 100%. Sage advice from Corey Peterson. Who do you help and what problem do you solve? The key to all this is being a solution to a problem. I remember when I first started my marketing agency that I was trying to do all the things. I was doing email marketing, I was doing design work, I was doing social media, and I very quickly realized that although I could do a lot of the things in the marketing industry, I couldn't necessarily do them at a high enough level that I really felt like I was actually solving a problem because although those are skill sets that allow me to do things in that space, they weren't necessarily solving the ultimate end goal problem of actually getting people clients and customers and so that made me realize is that although that advice is quite simple is to yeah be a solution to a problem it's not necessarily easy because at the end of the day that's one of the reasons why I decided to get into the marketing world is because there will never be a business that doesn't need clients and customers and there's a million ways that you can do it but it's about getting clear on who it is that you help and what the specific problem is, the end game, the destination, the vacation that you're ultimately trying to get them to. What is the problem you're trying to solve for them? What is the final destination that they're trying to arrive to? And how can you be the solution to that problem? Next up, we have Nikki Zaka and how to deal with rejection. Let's go. Has there ever been a scenario where you emotionally get smacked? Uh, like all of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it never feels good if when people say no to you or you're not a great fit for what we're looking for. Or we don't think that you're worth it. I've never gotten told you're not worth the money, but they say it in different ways. Like, uh, we only have this much in our budget. Or we don't have budget for that type of thing. So it always hurts when you get denied or if you're going up to random people asking them to be your friend at events. Uh, <laughs> they don't want to be your friend, which has happened. It, yeah. Really? Like, well, or they won't say that specifically, but they're like, yeah, we'll hang out sometime. You you know when people are like, all right, they don't want to be my friend, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you felt it. You're like, oh, I feel yeah. that. Yeah. So you're going to have that like every day. I mean, in the corporate world, making cold calls. I don't know if you've ever had to do that, but getting smacked with rejection like 50 times in like two hours, just making cold calls and having people yell at you. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good, but you, you kind of go through that because you know all of the failed attempts will eventually hit a win and it will be worth it. Having a number of failed attempts that eventually leads to a win. I love this idea because it always reminds me of I've never met an entrepreneur that doesn't have a whole bunch of rejection and failure under their belt. It's one of the things that I've always associated with that I feel like being a business owner or an entrepreneur is more about the personal development that comes from it than the actual wealth or status or accolades that you could gain from something like that. When I lived back in Minnesota, I actually intentionally signed up for an open mic night on a comedy show back in town only because... I wanted to push my edges and see the limits of what I could actually do and sort of basically the rejection that I could deal with 
And I'll be honest, it was really hard. It was really uncomfortable. And I definitely probably got maybe no, if maybe a couple laughs when I was doing my bit. But it really just continues to show me is that that was more about just the exploration of experiencing what it's like to deal with rejection and to deal with setbacks. Because honestly, at the end of the day, when you are trying to build a business or you have that entrepreneurial spirit is that you're going to deal with a lot of that. It just comes with the territory. And it's really about just like learning how to deal with those uncomfortable situations again and again, to the point where the uncomfortable becomes comfortable, which is what Ross touched on in the earlier highlight clip. And so I definitely have a lot of respect for Nikki and having a sales job and dealing with those cold call outreach rejections because if you haven't done that it is a bit like getting emotionally smacked next up we have kyler brown on some contrarian beliefs about why you shouldn't be the guru of your practice yes if you're the practice owner it's your baby and you care the most about it but at the same time it's okay for people to not care as much as you right it's okay right that's the expectation but if you make it a environment where they can thrive wave the magic wand and two years later they care a lot Mm. And if you put them in a position where they can kill it, then you've created like permanence. And I think that's the biggest hurdle. I've looked around, I've seen what people do. I have good friends. I graduated Cairo school in 2006. What was that, 16 years ago? So I've had a lot of friends who are really smart people, did better than me on tests, who are not practicing anymore. And I look at my friends who's done well, my friends who've struggled, or my friends who've built up to just them and they're stuck. Like I have a good buddy I went to school with. He called me. He's like, how do I scale? He's just now realizing he doesn't get time with his kids, right? Because if he's not there, he doesn't make money. Mm. Yes. So his want right now, make more money when he's not there. But he, he's created a population of patients who think he's the only guy who knows anything. He's done guru death, right? A lot of people want to be the guru, but don't be the guru. Don't f- frame yourself like you're the smartest person ever. A, no one not wants to network with that person. And B, you make yourself successful now, but then you are stuck and married to your practice. And if you go on vacation, you pay for vacation and you pay rent while no one comes in. So your vacation costs you double. The guru pays twice as much for vacation than the person who scaled. Don't be the guru. I love this advice because it reminds me of the idea that our entire business should not only be in our head. I actually recently watched a video by Cody Sanchez. And if you don't follow her, she's a great entrepreneur and she's Uh, bought and built and done a lot of successful businesses. She just interviewed a guy who does garage installments. And the guy actually had no skills or no knowledge of garage installments whatsoever. But what he did do was he understood how important it was to document everything that he did. And so he called himself a chief documenting officer in the sense that he created systems, whether it was Google Docs or Notions or just writing it down or making videos and really just creating the systems in place to the point where he took what was only a six-figure business to a multi-million dollar business purely from just creating the systems and processes that allowed him to scale up to a higher level. And I think this is true for any business is that maybe it's you're not in that point right now where you're looking to do some of those things of hiring somebody out or outsourcing things. But I think it's important to know that if there's friction in your business or you have tasks that you repeat more than once, I can guarantee you that you could probably put a system around it. Don't be the guru. Don't be the only person in your business that knows how to do the things that you do because then you end up paying twice every single time that you have to do it again and again and again. Next up, we have Mike Bledsoe on what it feels like to let his bank account get to a less than $100. Crazy. I know. Let's go. That, that created so much freedom, so much freedom, not needing validation 
from really anybody during that time it was 2018 I let my bank account almost get to zero intentionally yeah so I spent was it I left the business I had built and then I started traveling around just to see what that feel like why did you do that because I realized when I, when I did that retreat where I was doing all that emotional work, I realized that a lot of my validation was coming from how much money was in my bank account. Mm. So if my, I noticed that in business, when the numbers were high, I was high. Mm. And when the numbers were low, I was low. And the reason that I was high and low is because I actually uh, conflated my personal value with the amount of money in my bank account, which are to two totally different things. These, these things are not attached. Like money is money and like the value of a human life. You don't put money on that. Like these are different things. And so I did this work where I go, yeah. And I had to test it. I just had to see. And so I, um, let the bank account go and I remember getting down to less than $100. I was living in San Diego. Ooh. Yeah. And I look, I look at my bank account and I go, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do for food this week. I don't know how I'm going to eat. And I was podcasting. I was still posting like my own personal podcast. I wasn't like taking, I didn't have any sponsors or anything like that. I was just kind of like, I refused to accept money for a period of time. And then five minutes after, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start fasting. So I guess I'm fasting this week until the money comes in. And then a box arrives and some food prep company was a fan of my work, sends me like a week's worth of pre-made meals, which was pretty cool. It was like, it's like, okay, the universe has me. Totally. The thing was, the coolest thing was I was so fucking excited the whole time. It's like I had no negative feelings about having less than $100 in my account. I know it, I was, I was totally okay. His words are not mine, but he is definitely a self-proclaimed weirdo. And obviously, as you could tell by that short clip, uh, it kind of shows up in what he's talking about of intentionally letting his bank account get less than a hundred dollars. I think the more important lesson here is just to understand what your identity is tied to. Is it your level of success? Is it even your body? Is it a relationship that you have? I believe that when we tie our identity to things that are outside of just who we are as a human, we are really putting ourselves at risk. And don't get me wrong. I'm the first one to admit that I've dealt with identity crisis crisis a few times in my life and every time is very painful and very hard but on the end of that I've always grown as a human and like I touched on earlier so much of business is the personal growth that comes from it and so identity loss can be really hard but sometimes it is necessary for growth last and definitely not least we have Daniel Hinojosa of Lyft ATX talking about how a picnic table is the key to building community let's get into it I'm going to I'm going to give you like a little pointer like for any new business entrepreneur that has a place or like you're setting up a business where you want people to be there one of the two easiest things that we did as a gym picnic table picnic tables man <laughs> get you a couple of picnic tables and there are people that literally like just come and hang out because like they know they're going to know somebody there and like We'll spend hours just chilling at the picnic tables. And it's was a $200 investment for like a lifetime investment. And so like, it, I'm serious though. Like it's a big deal. Like once we added those picnic tables, it felt like 
a more like home. It's like, okay, I'm comfortable. Yeah. I can chill here. I can, I can have can, lunch. Like, I can hang yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. I can work. I can talk to people. We can talk about like, no, I don't want to go up on this squat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, no, nah, I don't want to add 10 pounds on this deadlift. <laughs> like, I'm fine. You know, like it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's just opportunities to continue to build community and continue to build relationships. And that's all people want, I think. They just want to feel connected, you know? Get your ass a picnic table. Okay, not really. Obviously, the bigger point there is just having some reason for people to connect and get together. It's one of the reasons that I started Austin's Health and Fitness Entrepreneurship Meetup Group is because I saw an opportunity to be a community organizer and to bring like-minded people together. And so if you are building a business, I would argue that a big part of that is actually building a community, building a reason for people that have similar goals and ambitions in life to come together. And so whether it is a picnic table or some other outlet, I would definitely highly recommend that you find find some reason to build a community and have those people talk to each other. I've talked to other entrepreneurs who use Facebook groups, Telegram chats, Discord channels. There's quite a few ways to bring people together into a community to have a conversation. Really what you're looking for is just an opportunity for people to come together and to ask questions and to hang out and to chat. And this can be digitally or this can be in person. But DM me if you like this style of show and I'll definitely try to do more of them to give you guys the takeaways and the highlights from the previous episodes with other guests that we've had. Like I said, there's so many awesome moments. Definitely go check out some of those previous episodes. But moving forward into season three, three now we're going to be tapping into some really interesting markets of influencers and gym owners and personal trainers and just uh, some unique things coming forward so definitely stay tuned before you go, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to the show, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you're looking for simple, actionable tips on how to market and grow your health business or need help with your website, go to coreyhigh.com. Thanks again, and keep hustling, my friends. 